You are the source of my strength and the strength of my life. Amen. I think it's still morning, so good morning uh, to Pastor Murphy and to all of you here. I'm glad to be here again with you. Um, thank you to this music ministry um, and these children for blessing me this morning. Thank you very much. Um, I bring you greetings from the Alfred Street Baptist Church where uh, Dr. Howard John Wesley is my pastor who also uh, sends his hello this morning. There is a word from the Lord. Uh, it's in the New Testament the book of John, John chapter 4. John 4, and we're going to start at verse 7. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version, John 4, verse 7. If you have it, say amen. amen. If you need more time, say I need more time. All right. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus responded, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman then said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus tells her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman then responds, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I'm going to skip down to verse 25. The woman says to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is this not to Christ? Come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? For the time that is ours this morning, just two hours, I, I shortened it from three hours. <laughs> I'm kidding. I want to talk about uh, your worth. You thought I was worth it. You may be seated. You thought I was worth it. So one of my favorite things to do is travel. 
And last year, I went to Amsterdam uh, for a vacation. And I had an absolute great time in Amsterdam. If you haven't been, I suggest you go. Um, the city is great. They do a lot of travel on the water, similar to Italy. The people are nice. But what I love most about Amsterdam are the museums. And so the first museum that I went to was a bag and purse museum. And I could have gone there every day for a week because it was a whole building just full of vintage purses. I mean, Prada, Chanel, just you name it, just purses of the ages. And I thought that was the best museum I had ever seen. And then the next day I went to the Diamond Museum. And I had a better time at the Diamond Museum than I did at the Purse Museum because diamonds are girls best friend. So you guys know, you know about the diamonds. Um, and I thought that those were the two greatest museums in Amsterdam until the third day when I stumbled upon the Vincent van Gogh Museum. And honestly, Vincent van Gogh is my favorite artist for many, many reasons. One, he was a PK, a preacher's kid like myself. Um, two, he spent some time in seminary and he struggled um, with that to find out who he was supposed to be. His life was filled with tragedy. You may remember he was the artist who cut off his own ear um, and ultimately he took his own life. But he made some of the most beautiful art through his pain. Um, you may know him for Oh Starry Nights. That's the one you can buy in Ikea. I know because I had a copy when I was in college and I always said that if I hit the Powerball I'm going to get me one of these paintings. And the Lord has not given me that Powerball number yet. <sighs> Speak those things as though they were, though. Um, and I always wanted, I said, I'm going to get me a Vincent Van Gogh painting until I found out they were $70 million. Um, nonetheless, he, he made most of, his, most of his work in the last uh, year of his life, over 300 paintings. He was in the late 1800s. Uh, a lot of them had a blue and yellow hue and the waves, and that was actually from a medication called digoxin, which you've probably heard of because we still use digoxin for congestive heart failure and for AFib. But in the late 1800s, they used it for mental illness. And it has a very small window that uh, dosing that you can give. And so they used to overdose it a lot. And it would cause your vision to be yellow and blurry. So that's why a lot of his paintings have that kind of hue on them. But he liked to paint not just uh, flowers, but he also liked to paint people and mostly peasants, which was unheard of because most of the time it was royal or rich people who got to be painted. But he would paint just regular workers, potato workers. And so as you're going through the museum, there's a whole section of just regular, ordinary folk that he painted. And I came across one picture and I had to just stand there for a very long time. The old woman of Arles, um, he, met her in France and painted her. She's an old woman, she's average, she's wearing a scarf, a widow's scarf, to let you know that she was grieving and she was a widow. And if you kind of just stand there, her eyes kind of pierce right through you. If, if you Google it, it'll come right up. It's one of his most famous paintings. And I thought about it. We don't even know this woman's name. We know that she, we know her pain, because we know she's a widow. 
We know she was likely poor because she's in the section of peasants and regular people that he painted. And who would have thought that in 1890, you think she thought that in 2019 I would be looking at a picture of her, that I would be wondering about how her life was. And she met this man, and Vincent Mango was not famous at the time. He was more famous after his death. He didn't even know how good of an artist he was. And I know that you didn't come to church to hear just about Vincent Van Gogh, even though I'm giving you a little bit of it. And you didn't come for art history lesson. But I stood there and I thought about this old woman of ours whose name we don't know, who was poor, who was once married and now is not, whose pain we see painted, and she encounters a man who's more famous after, her, after his death, and her life is forever changed. Uh, that, that just jumped out John chapter four to me, but because this woman at the well, we don't, name, we don't know her name. We, we know she was likely poor. She was once married, and now she's not. We see her pain painted throughout the text, and she encounters a man who's more famous after his death, and her life is forever changed. You, you guys know the story of the woman at the well. Um, I say that she's poor uh, because she's getting her own water, and women who had wealth didn't go to the well to get their own water. Um, she was a Samaritan woman with no husband, which made her in every way an outcast. And Jesus cares about none of that. He thought that she was worth it. She th he thought she was worthy of a conversation. And her life is forever changed. And one day, God thought that we were worth it. <laughs> and he thought we were worthy of a conversation. And because of that, we're forever changed. And there are some people who may think ill of this woman. And, and the Jews at that time looked down on the Samaritans and they didn't think they were worth it. But Jesus thought she was worth it. And there's some people who look down on us and there's some bullying that goes on. And if you love different or you look different, then they don't think you're worth it. But Jesus thinks you're worth it. And if you read through this text and you kind of look at that interaction, there are three things that pops up to prove that Jesus thought this woman was worth it. Can I give them to you? And then you can go watch the Redskins lose. I'm from Philly, I'm from Philly. We're on a bye week, we're on a bye week. Um, the first one is her story didn't stop the savior. Her story didn't stop the savior. Um, I told the morning crowd this too. I am in medicine by training, but when I like to argue, I pretend I'm a lawyer. And I have been the defense attorney for this woman at the well, unpaid, for a very, very long time. Um, anytime I heard some teaching and Bible study or a sermon, I felt like she was getting a bad rap, a bad narrative. Um, and I would argue uh, at length, and my dad can attest to this, well, women didn't have the right of divorce. And, and she wasn't being an adulterer because adultery is punishable by death. Y'all remember the stoning of the woman? And I would go on and on and on because I felt like it wasn't fair. David had a whole bunch of wives. They didn't say nothing. But, um, 
But the truth is, we really don't know any more than what the text tells us. We don't know her full story. I don't know why she had five husbands. I don't know the circumstances in which those five marriages dissolved. I don't know why she's not married now. But I know one thing, it doesn't matter. Five husbands or 50 husbands, it doesn't matter. It only matters that she had an encounter with Jesus. He knew the full story and it didn't stop him. Because your story doesn't stop Jesus. There's nothing in your past that's too big for God to handle. There's nothing that stops him from seeking you. And, and so it doesn't matter if it was a hundred husbands. It, it only matters that she had an encounter with Jesus. It doesn't matter what they've said you've done. It doesn't even matter what you've actually done. You, you don't have to change the story for Jesus. And you don't have to sanitize your story for Jesus. And you don't have to pour bleach on it and you don't have to say what had happened was and you don't have to call Olivia Pope and you don't have to be somebody else there's no code switching for Jesus and you don't have to sugarcoat it and you don't have to leave all the bad parts out uh, the things you wouldn't tell your mama you can go ahead and take that to Jesus you don't have to call crisis management for the Christ because the Christ can handle your crisis. You can come to Jesus just as you are and he'll accept you that way. And not this church, but some other churches. Um, maybe, maybe there would be more people in church if we didn't take the bad parts out of our stories. <laughs> maybe if we gave our full testimonies, uh, uh, more people would be attracted to church uh, because we are the church. <laughs> and maybe if we told them about the mess we used to be in, the mess that God pulled us out, uh, how Jesus cleaned us up, how Jesus fixed us up, how he picked us up out of our dirt and made his white as snow. Perhaps if they knew that Jesus sought you at your lowest, perhaps if he knew, they knew that Jesus has changed your life, they'd be attracted to that. If we told the full story, Jesus is intentional about getting to know her. He knows her story and he wants to save her. Um, he doesn't allow sin to stand in the way of his touching her pain. Uh, the Bible in verse 4 says Jesus needs to go to Samaria. That this was not by chance. <laughs> this wasn't on accident. He didn't just run into her on the street. He went there with purpose in mind. And I'm just so glad for Jesus that seeks after you. I'm so glad for a God that'll come and get you. I'm glad that a God will get up in your face by any means necessary. Even when you're at your lowest, he still can get to you. No matter where you are, he still can get to you. This is not an accident. And your encounter with God is never by accident or by chance. And he sought her out even after knowing her story. And he talked to her even when she wasn't going to talk to him. Oh, I'm so glad because sometimes we forget to pray and God will talk to you even when you don't talk to him. I started the sermon out by telling you about Vincent Van Gogh and his famous works and this old woman of ours and old starry night and I also told you he was very known for flowers. 
um, especially sunflowers. And you'll see he, he did a lot of work on sunflowers. Um, and they're some of also his famous paintings. A lot of artists in that time actually painted flowers. But what the difference is, if you look at normal paintings with flowers, the flowers are perfect. They're not missing any petals, they're all upright. But when you look at Vincent van Gogh's, he always has one that's coming down. He always has some petals that are falling off. He was intentional about showing all of the lifestyle of the flower. He was intentional about showing the flaws of the flower. He felt there was beauty in the whole life cycle, that there was beauty in the whole story, that there was beauty even with the petals falling off, that there was beauty in the big picture. And the same thing, there's beauty in your entire story. <laughs> there's beauty in your mess, and even the times when you had some misery, there's beauty in the whole story, because God can use all of that. So he thought she was worth it because her story didn't stop him. Secondly, we know that Jesus thought she was worth it because he broke customs and social norms to talk to her. He broke customs and social norms to talk to her. The whole interaction between Jesus, who's a rabbi, and this woman is strange. One, rabbi didn't talk to women in public, even if it was their own wife or children. Two, Samaritan and Jews didn't interact. And three, a Jewish person would never ask for a favor from a Samaritan since they thought so little of them. Samaritans were the lowest of the low. They were actually a mix of Jews and outside religion. And so the Jews often avoided them. They hated them even. They didn't trust them. In fact, if you were walking from Jerusalem to Galilee, the shortcut would be through Samaria. Most Jews took the long way around. Do you know how much you gotta not like somebody to walk the long way around just so you don't have to speak or, or see them? Literally the word Samaritan was a slur. So she's a woman and a Samaritan, a double negative, and yet he still breaks both customs. He was an immigrant who broke the law because he was a rebel. He was revolutionary and he broke society customs and laws because if it was not moral, if it was not just, he broke it. And he spoke to this woman along with other women in public. He really shouldn't have been talking to her. He shouldn't have asked her for a favor. In fact, when the disciples got there, they gave him a side eye and was like, what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you talking to this woman? But he breaks the custom and he breaks tradition and he essentially says, I don't care if you're Jew or Samaritan, I'm talking to you. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, I'm talking to you. I don't care if you're married or single, I'm talking to you. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican or Tea Party or Green Party or Libertarian or whatever you're calling yourself, I'm talking to you. I don't care if you're rich or poor, I'm talking to you. I don't care if you have a degree or you don't have a degree, I'm talking to you. Projects or high rise, I'm talking to you. He doesn't let societal norms dictate how he treats foreigners. 
I think this administration needs to hear that. <laughs> he doesn't let societal norms dictate how he treats foreigners. And we ought not let racism or misogyny dictate how we treat those who are different from us. Uh, hey, Jesus teaches us here that we ought to seek out the less fortunate. Um, and he talks to her and then she changes. <laughs> She's different after she speaks to him. How many of you know just one talk with Jesus makes all the difference? As he's telling her about her life, she's gaining a new perspective. And it gave her some courage. It gave her a little energy. And she realizes that Jesus realizes she's worth the conversation and it makes you look at other people different when Jesus thinks you're worth it. it it makes you look at people who don't treat you right a little different when Jesus thinks you're worth it even if they didn't think you were worthy of that promotion Jesus thinks I'm worth it you didn't think I was worthy of a callback but Jesus thinks I'm worth it and it's easier to let a whole lot of things and people go when you realize you're worth it so Jesus changes the custom, she changes within, and that leads to a culture change. She ends up leaving him and she says, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. She references what he tells her because in looking for the Messiah, they were looking for someone who would know the secrets of the heart. And the Bible says the whole town believe the word of a woman. That word of the woman is familiar here. You've heard that phrase before. It was at the cross when the Marys found an empty tomb and the angel said, hey, he's arisen, go tell the disciples. And when they went, it said the disciples did not believe the word of a woman. But here in John chapter four, after Jesus breaks multiple customs and talks to the woman, the whole town believe the word of the woman. For when we encounter God, bad customs can change and bad culture traditions can change. For when God changes you, it's contagious and you have the courage to make change in policies that oppress others and in bad situations. So Jesus includes this woman and she now becomes included back into the community. Her life is changed, but also so is her legacy. She's not just the woman who had five husbands and a boo thing. Now she's the first evangelist seen in the New Testament. For the whole town now believe the word of the woman. The whole town was saved because she told her story. She preached and the doors of the church for Samaria were open four years before Philip got there. And the whole town believed the word of a woman. So her life and her legacy were forever changed. Now we have proof in the text that once you encounter God, your legacy is changed. Do you know where that proof is? Whose well are they at? They're at Jacob's well. Do you see the way she refers to Jacob? Y'all know what Jacob she's talking about? 
I had to look and read it a couple of times because I just knew she could not be talking about lying Jacob. I, I know like he was a mama's boy. I knew she wasn't talking about the, the put dead animal skin and, and lie to his daddy and steal his brother's birthright, Jacob. Like I just, Jake the snake, I mean his name translates into trickster. I, I just knew that that could not be the Jacob that she was talking about. But lo and behold, this is the same Jacob that after he was a liar and after he was a trickster, he ran and after he was a coward who ran from his brother. Oh, the Bible said he wrestled with God and won. Uh, so after this encounter, the whole town now looks at him different. She says, are you greater than Jacob? Uh, she remembered him as being great and his children as being great and uh, building up the land. He told her about the Messiah uh, uh, because when you encounter God, not only does your life change, but your legacy changes changes. And God thought she was worth it. Jesus thought she was worth it. And her life changed as well as her legacy. And lastly, we know that he thought she was worth it because he made sure she knew who to worship. He made sure she knew who to worship. Jesus and this woman at the well had a very lengthy discussion. So long, I didn't even read all the verses. <laughs> you can read them when you get home. But if you look through it, the discussion is actually full of theological debate. Uh, and, and Jesus actually tells her at one point that you don't even know who you worship in. He, he literally says, you worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But he keeps going and says, the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such to worship him. So since she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and Jesus says, I am he, he didn't let her leave without letting her know he was the Messiah. She didn't know who she was worshiping. But once she finished talking to Jesus, she was able to worship in truth and in spirit. How do I know that? Well, here's a woman that originally avoided the entire town. I say she avoided them because when Jesus finds her, it's the middle of the day and she's alone. And women did not go to the well alone and they certainly didn't go in the middle of the heat. They went in the morning before the heat would come and in groups. But she's alone in the middle of the day, which suggests she's avoiding the other women. So she goes from avoiding them to running back to the town and saying, come see a man that told me all about my past. She goes from worrying to witnessing. She no longer cares about what the people in the town think. She only cares about witnessing and worship. She's not hiding anymore because it says the whole town. You know, that means that some of those ex-husbands were likely within that group. It says the whole town. That means the ex-husband knew booze likely were in that group, but she doesn't care about none of that, only about talking about God. And I want to know who came to church today and is not worried about who's around. They only care about worshiping God. I'm going to say hallelujah to his name. I 
don't care who's sitting next to me. I just came to say thank you, God. I just came to say glory to your name because you kept me all week and I didn't get into a car accident and I had clothes to wear this morning and I don't know what he's done for you, but oh, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, oh, I just came to say thank you. I just came to say glory to his name. I don't know who else is in the building, but I'm grateful to God. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't care. I just came to worship. As soon as she talked to him, she felt like talking about him. She goes from water to worship. It says she left her water pot. Oh, and some of us don't want to worship. We just want to fill our pots. But sometimes we got to leave our pots and just go and worship. Sometimes we got to skip out on everything else and just worship. Because her encounter with Jesus happened and her thirst changed. It wasn't about the water anymore. It was just about the worship. It wasn't about the pot. It was just about talking about Jesus. And once you encounter God, the Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart if you ask. But once you encounter God, that's what you're going to desire. And so she came for the well for water, but she left her pot and Jesus asked her for water, but it doesn't say anywhere where he drank water. So she's coming for water, but there's no water being drank. And he asked for water, but we don't see anywhere where they're drinking water. And, you know, we know that human, Jesus was holy human and holy divine. And so the humanity in Jesus needed water. Water is a necessity for life. It, it's a solvent and a delivery mechanism. It dissolves essential vitamins. It's nutrients from food. It delivers them to ourselves. It aids in our metabolisms. It flushes out toxins. It regulates our body temperature. We're made up of 60% water. And so we know that the humanity in Jesus really needed this water but what did divine Jesus thirst for his hum humanity in him wanted water but the divinity outweighed the humanity in this moment and then I was reminded when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus in prayer said God will you let this cup pass me by but nevertheless your will be done and Jesus decided to take that cup and I realized why human Jesus wanted a cup of water divine Jesus took on the cup of Gethsemane and and the woman at the well, her tears were in that cup and he took a sip and her pain was in that cup and he took a sip and my pain was in that cup and he took a sip and my failures were in that cup and he took a sip and sin was in that cup and he took a sip death was in that cup and he took a sip and because he wasn't afraid to drink of that cup because he thought we were worth drinking of that cup. I'm different now. He's come into my life and he changed me. I'm not the same person I used to be. Come see a man who's told me everything about my life. Come see a man who picked 
me up when I was down. Come see a man uh, who opened windows when doors were closed in my face. Uh, come see a man uh, that picked me up out of my grief and depression. Uh, come see a man who changed my mind and he changed my heart and he changed my life and he rearranged me. Come see a man uh, who changed my future, who kept me when I couldn't keep myself, uh, who talked to me when no one else wouldn't. Uh, oh, come see a man uh, who died for my sins and he died for your sins. Uh, come see a man uh, who knows everything about you uh, and thinks you're worthy anyway. Uh, come see a man uh, who loves you more uh, than you can love yourself. Uh, come see a man uh, who talked to me when no one else would. Uh, come see a man uh, who thought I was worth it. You thought I was worth it. I want to say thank you to Reverend Dr. Ash for the wonderful, powerful message. He thought I was worthy, and so he came and saved me. Amen. All over the building, may we stand to our feet. If there's anyone in this building who hasn't come to 